Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem podcast. And herzlich willkommen zu Horrifying Classics 2022. Today we're reviewing the novel Gesichter, or I think in English it's called The Faces by Tove Ditlipsen. Uh, Tove Ditlipsen uh, was a Danish poet uh, who's having a resurgence in Germany as we speak and a resurgence in general, I should say. Her works are widely translated in English and German and in other languages from the original Danish. Um, and she's most well known for the Copenhagen trilogy, which I have not read. Uh, Dillipson is a new author for me, which I am so excited for, honestly. It's been an interesting and uh, difficult, definitely, um, or adventure, honestly, for me to read uh, this book, not only in German and review it in English, so I'll have to do a lot of probably translating in my head, which you can probably tell is already proving difficult, but um, it, it was interesting to read a new author and to know that I was reading a translated work from this new author. This novel was published uh, published in 1968, and it is a very autobiographical work in nature. Um, so, what's interesting is that, and I think honestly very sad, is that the author herself struggled with a lot of mental health issues and eventually in 1976 committed suicide. So. This book is loosely, I'll give a summary, about a, an author of children's books named Lisa Mundus, who is an author and a mother of three children. She is wildly mentally unwell. She overdoses on sleeping pills and is institutionalized and eventually at the end of the book finds insanity as a safer environment than the fall or the collapse towards insanity and she concludes at the end that happiness and contentment and things that make her feel safe in the moment are only fleeting so it is in that sense a very disquieting book i found um sort of disheartening in the conclusions that it draws um, but even more disheartening are these autobiographical ties. The author herself, again, struggled with a lot of these same issues um, and ended up paying the ultimate price for not being able to um, resolve them or work on them in a way that helped her overcome her own challenges. So, yeah, for me, um, it was, it was a heavy read, to be honest. This is not a read that, for example, I read at night. So I found that to be difficult is, you know, it was a book that I, it's, it's very, um, 
thought-provoking in that sense and you, you really do have to kind of go into this higher headspace like Hochdenkens um, but yeah it was at the same time a very tragic example of fiction to read and um, primary in the book is the relationship that Mundus, the fictional uh, character, has with her writing on the one hand and kind of these like almost obsessive compulsive tendencies to think of her writing as plagiarized or as something that's not very good or you know she kind of has this self evaluation system that is very um, problematic, proves problematic to her mental health and her own um, self-confidence. And then on the other hand, um, her relationship with her children and with her husband in particular, her husband is a very problematic man um, in that sense because he's, he's untrustworthy, he's kind of this like here one moment, gone the next kind of figure. Um, and then her, of course, her uh, mental illness, which kind of impedes her ability to look at things objectively. So she assumes that her husband is um, always sleeping around with other women, including the housekeeper, who also figures in her um, psychological delusions and figments of her imagination quite frequently um, and you can tell um, as a reader that she has these complicated relationships stemming from childhood because there is a scene where her mother appears to her uh, in one of her delusions and uh, kind of talks about how uh, she never thought herself the same as her parents. She kind of thought that she was uh, worth more or um, on a different societal or like mental level than her parents. So it is, it is a difficult novel to read in that sense that there are just some hard, there are things in the novel concepts and also scenes that are hard to reckon with as a reader. Um, but I find those things personally as a reader, um, especially when they're challenging to be super valuable um, because it kind of forces me into a different level of empathy that I might encounter in my everyday life um, where I have to kind of reconcile the experiences and thoughts of this very mentally ill character um, with kind of the objective facts of the novel which is, you know, even though these things that she imagines feel real, they're not real, you know, and there's kind of this uh, evaluation system that takes place as a reader when you think, you know, this is terrible and I can co I can sort of see the omniscient perspective as a reader of wow she is very well my initial interest in the novel I will take us a, a step or two back I suppose <laughs> is that um, there's a new German translation out of this novel um, and the cover is beautiful I would I would highly recommend you Google the cover it's red and there's these kind of like weird split faces. I ended up uh, buying a copy of this book in Augsburg. I was on a day trip at Tagesreise um, to Augsburg and I saw it in a, in a Buchladen and I thought that seemed like a really interesting book to read. I found um, the way that Ursel Allenstein, um, the translator, translated the Danish. I thought it was 
uh, really well done. Um, I haven't read a huge number of uh, like Scandinavian language translated novels in German or English, but I have read a few, um, and I they they've uh, kind of communicated. I think the prose and style of the authors to varying degrees of success and I thought this translation was very successful, I really enjoyed it. Um, it felt, um, I don't know if this is a thing, but it felt very German to me in terms of the way it was sort of translated, the kinds of word choices that she used and everything. Um, of course I, I'm not German so I don't know ultimately, but that was my evaluation of it. Um, the other thing that initially attracted me to this novel is that it was so out of my league. <laughs> um, you know, in I'm a fluent speaker of German, uh, and I am learning more and more vocabulary li living in Germany every day. However, uh, there are certain bereichs or areas, um, bereichen, um, that are out of my league. Like there are certain like topics, pol politics for example, um, there are certain kind of areas of vocabulary that are I don't use every day and I didn't need in my classes and everything. So um, I think, you know, this the like, the way that mental health was communicated in this narratives beschreiben like this narrative description or this narration. Um, I think, yeah, I think the way that was done um, was a really challenging thing for me as a language learner uh, to, to grapple with. And also, um, I don't read many books with institutionalization uh, in terms of uh, prisons or mental health. Uh, institutions as sort of the um, main setting of the novel. I mean, I've read, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's one book out of many, many books in the, in the novel, like, literature that deal with mental health and institutionalization as, as sort of main thematic elements. So, you know, again, like, this book was out of my league in a lot of different ways, and I thought it would be perfect as a psychological thriller for horrifying classics, in that sense that it's a book that challenged me um, to not only kind of read deeper and think deeper about um, some topics, but also when I uh, was preparing this review to make sure that the review is also something that dug deeper and kind of um, explained the deeper reconciliations that I had. And again, um, a part of the initial interest was the revival of Ditlifson's works in recent years. I find it similar to the revival of Susan Sontag, um, who was, you know, also kind of this critical uh, writer, um, who wrote, I don't want to get this wrong, I think it's the 1970s, but she wrote um, these, yeah, really interesting works, uh, feminist works, and 
Um, definitely her works have started to resurface in the past few years, especially I noticed over the pandemic. Let's talk about psychological thrillers. Is this work a psychological thriller? This is a hard thing for me to, um, to kind of value or evaluate. Bewerten um, is the verb I want to use. It's, it's like a hard thing for me to judge because it's unlike any psychological thriller I've read, if it is a psychological thriller. I found the pace to be really slow. Um, you know, it's, it's not, I think, part of this term or this subgenre, psychological thriller, that we haven't talked about is that there's this sense of senses, sensationalization or this factor of sensationalization that I find um, to be really like contingent to these novels or connected to these novels. Um, and this is not a novel that I would like to sensationalize by calling it a psychological thriller. Um, there wasn't a climax, like maybe you could call the end a climax, um, but you know, it, it wasn't like a, a climax where there was so much tension and anticipation and everything. It was a climax that kind of you realize, or at least the main character realizes that she's completely gone off the deep end and then has these more, you know, grandiose realizations about the fleeting nature of happiness and contentment and uh, good moments and things like this. Um, again, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest and other kind of similar works. Um, I've read a couple of um, sources about similar works and the literature that are popping up again because of the new exploration of mental health in literature in general. Um, kind of recalling these uh, authors who were writing about mental health before their time um, in that sense. And I, I, I struggle to call this book a psychological thriller because again, I don't want to sensationalize it. I don't want to um, devalue or limit the value of the fact that this is talking about mental health, you know, it, it is, it is, it has that kind of like spannend or like anticipatory quality. It has this kind of like um, tension in it. However, um, and you know, there is like a distortion of reality. There's a confusion of reality, you know, however, that is not um, an intentional move on Ditlipson's part to kind of evade the reader from the truth uh, of the novel, like to kind of hide a reality or to hide a twist in the novel's plot or something. This is because of a mental illness. So to me, there's a very distinct, a distinctive difference between a psychological novel that has these elements, distortion of reality or confusion of reality, 
um, these, you know, psychological things where there are a lot is going on in a character's head. There's kind of this maybe misunderstanding or misinterpretation of events that goes on. Um, but at the same time, it's not for the purpose of a plot twist later in the novel. It's not for the sake of furthering the plot or confusing the reader or creating suspense. Uh, in order for something, you know, big to happen, for this kind of climax to happen in the book. This is purely because the main character is ill. And that's, to me, that's a huge difference. And generally, the last thing I would like to talk about, or the last category, is something I'd like to call analysis. I wrote analysis-fragility in my notes, so take that as you will. Essentially, I want to talk about a couple of the mechanisms at work in the writing of this novel because that was the those were the features that I found most difficult to grapple with as a reader. Um, of course, the mental health and pseudo autobiographical connection that we talked about earlier in the episode is definitely at play here. Uh, different sources mark these autobiographical traits as closer or more distant from the author depending on the source. Uh, some sources think that the autobiographical tendencies that this novel has uh, mark this novel as very, very close to the author's lived experience, very close to the autobiographical um, nature of the novel. Others distance a little bit more and are a little bit more careful with those associations. I would say that um, in terms of the way the novel's written, the author includes so much sensitivity towards the moment-to-moment -moment experience of someone who, who has challenges with mental health, specifically these intrusive thoughts and um, delusions and things like this, um, and also the desperation that that causes and i found that to be heartbreaking personally as i was reading the novel um the amount of times that there's sort of this self-argument going on and it's a very desperate one where it's sort of like you know the voices are telling the main character one thing and she is desperately trying to believe that something else is true, that she has a higher self-worth than what the voices are telling her, that what the voices are telling her are not true, that, um, you know, for example, she has delusions about her children not being okay or being mistreated, you know, she desperately, desperately, obviously wants to believe that her children are being taken care of. Um, she wants to save them, in that sense, and so there is this, again, very, it's a very sensitively written book um, in that regard. I think in terms of the autobiographical nature of the book and, you know, how much of the author's own experience she took, I'm not in a position to evaluate that. Um, but I think that insofar as there are autobi autobiographical tendencies in the book, there is this line between art and reality that, that gets blurred, right? The art part being 
the novel as a novel in the sense of this being a fictionalized story and then the reality being the autobiographical nature of the book. And I think that's a really interesting exercise for me as someone who, for example, loves memoirs, which I think is another broad genre that blurs the line between art and reality, um, where there's this kind of style um, or maybe stylistic um, quality about a memoir. Um, they're, they're very stylistically driven um, works, in my opinion. And it's it's this kind of like art of how to write a memoir. And there's this kind of like almost um, the way that people tell their stories um, can be almost like the way that someone writes a novel. It can be very, you know, high intellectual prose. It can be very like down to earth. I think of like David Sedaris's prose where like, you know, the way that Sedaris dramatizes or um, points out things from his life, you know, the way that he uses metaphor, for example, or simile, like, you know, that's um, something that's so artistic and something that really, I think, nods to the art of the short story or the art of the novel. Um, so I do, I do think that this is definitely at play here, that there is this kind of um, stylistic or maybe stylistic or perhaps genre driven, this kind of psychological genre that's at work, um, style that I think is, is um, at, on the one hand very disturbing and confusing at points where you're not sure what is reality and what is uh, the delusion of the character, um, but on the other hand, you know, really does great work. Um, in terms of putting the driving points of the novel forward, which is this statement about, this broader statement about mental health. And I think the narrative perspective is another thing to look out for here. This is written in the omniscient third person, um, following the main character, Lisa. Um, and, you know, we are in that sense, like the narrator, confined to Lisa's perspective. Of course, Lisa is confined to her own brain, her own um, problems in this novel. She's confined to the institution and to her home because of her anxieties for most of the novel. So, you know, this kind of theme of confinement has a lot of different iterations, and I do think that the narrative is one way that this theme of confinement sh is is showcased, or that Ditlibson showcases this theme. Um, this is a similarity that I also found in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, that there's kind of this overarching theme of confinement that shows up in the text in various ways, and I mean in the text uh, stylistically, um, the word choices that they're using, the kind of dialects that um, the author employs, this kind of thing. Um, however, I would uh, interestingly say that unlike Lisa, the omniscient third point, third person perspective does give the author, uh, or the readers, and I suppose the author, a way to distance themselves from Lisa's perspective. So on the one hand, we're confined because this omniscient narration follows Lisa and her thoughts through the entire novel. However, there's this kind of 
distancing that the reader does and there's almost this sort of like uh it, it's almost it makes the story almost a spectacle in that sense of um we get this view of this mentally ill person um that this mentally ill person i.e the main character does not often realize that they could get on themselves. In other words, this distancing that we have through the third-person omniscient narration, right? It's not only Lisa Mundus, the main character, and her thoughts and everything all the time. We're not completely confined to this perspective. That distancing that we have, this character often does not have. Um, and that, I think, kind of buries or um, deepens this issue of confinement and the issue that ultimately Lisa cannot get the help she needs and ultimately Lisa is not allowed to communicate the problems that she's having because if she does the consequences are uh, severe she won't get to leave she won't get to see her family again she won't get certain privileges um you know and so it's this like political and social game that she has to play within this institution not only with other people but with herself to kind of pretend that she's not hearing voices pretend that she's better than she is and you know when she says i'm crazy i'm finally gone off the deep end um, people don't take her seriously and you know that really problematizes a lot of the different spectrums within um, this world of mental health and institutionalization. And yeah, the sad and very, again, desperate ending um, really makes a lot of, it, it drives the point home, right? It drives the points about the desperation, again, the, um, author's own sensitivity to the problems and also I think the problems that Lisa has that she's never able to resolve it drives all of those home kind of this to this breaking point and I found the ending I, I haven't read an ending like that in a really long time where it just kind of ends it ends very quietly but you just have this deep aching sadness at the end and I found that to be a really really effective close to this cry for help honestly um, within this sphere of mental health. So is this book a psychological thriller? I would say no but at the same time it is extremely psychological and it has uh, tendencies and it brings up conversation points that are extremely extremely valuable to talk about and important um and what i've covered in this episode along with the others and horrifying classics is just skim of the surface right the tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to these novels um that i think they do work really well in their own right to bring up these different perspectives these different in this case, autobiographical nature, autobiographical information, these different conversations. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in the next few days. 
with 112263 by Stephen King. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.